But one of the scariest things I saw, I was there a bit early before the AGM, and it was in Queen Elizabeth Conference Centre, which is opposite Parliament. And there's there's this court uh, area of uh, um, what do you call it driveway in front of the building, gravelled driveway. And these probably, I think, five, this fleet, anyway, fleet of blacked out Mercedes limos purred into the, the grounds, you know, crunching the gravel, moving very slowly, all blacked out. That was the HSBC directors. It was like a mafia convention. So hello and welcome to another episode of Chatter. Today I'm talking to Nicholas Wilson, otherwise known as Mr. Ethical. Uh, so Nicholas, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hi, Josh. Nice to, nice to have you here. So before we start, uh, I have to plug two things really quick. First of all, my book, Brexit, The Establishment Civil War, is available now to order on Amazon, bookshop.org, Waterstones, and um, hopefully people will even be able to go into stores and buy it soon. That'd be exciting. That would be better. That would be mm. better, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I have uh, much more hope that people will stumble across it in the, you know, the aisle of a bookstore than on Amazon. Something, it feels more, I don't know natural well, it's that more way. real it's more real it's nice to see your own book in a bookstore surely yeah i mean that's that's i, I didn't even consider that i get to go and i'll get to go down to waterstones myself and look at it that's exciting yeah. <laughs> tell people i wrote that i mean we have to stand there all day and be like what yeah. about this one yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and the other thing i have to plug quickly is our sponsor uh express vpn you can get uh 35 off 12 months of express vpn right now by following the link in the description below so, Nicholas, I, uh, yeah. I use them too. Oh, really? That's great. Yeah, that's yeah good. they're they're good. They're, they they do good work. Um, I, yeah. I find it really easy to use. Yeah. But uh, so, why don't you give us a, like just to start off? Like, why why are you called Mister Ethical on Twitter? Like, what's, yeah. the, well, what's the story there? Well, I don't call myself Mister Ethical. I was called Mister Ethical. Um, I worked at a law firm uh, called Waitmans, and. We, I, I acted for many years. I acted for the John Lewis partnership. I did their debt recovery and I was head of the debt recovery department. Um, and we won a new, well, I won a new contract for the firm because John Lewis sold their store accounts business to a bank, which was called HFC Bank, which is a subsidiary of HSBC. And at the very first meeting with the bank, they explained, because they already had solicitors and I was worried we might lose the legal work. But they said, you can carry on doing the legal work so long as you do it on the same basis as our existing solicitors. And I asked their solicitor to explain what those contract terms were. And when he explained it, I said, that's illegal. <laughs> You're not allowed to do that. Mm. Um, but nobody nobody took any notice of me. And you know, my firm took on the work and we you know, it blossomed. And uh, But I refused to do it. I said, it's illegal. You're not supposed to be doing it. So the partner in charge said, oh, here comes Mr. Ethical again. <laughs> so I was called Mr. Ethical because I refused to do illegal work for HSBC. Um, but I, it was, it, you know, it's a very long story, but I, in the end, I was off sick with stress for, for nearly a year. Um, and the, all the goodwill broke down. They sent me to a psychiatrist, uh, which is very common in whistleblower cases. You know, they'd like to, to get a report that says you're unstable or something, but he said exactly the opposite. 
And they sat on that report. I mean, this was my employment was at stake and they sat on it for three months, even though he'd sent it to them on the day after my consultation with him. So I realized that all the goodwill was over. So I reported them to the Law Society because it was, you know, they weren't going to change the contract. They were going, and it, I knew it was millions and millions of pounds involved. Um, so I reported them and they immediately sacked me. But I just thought it was quite amusing to call myself Mr. Ethical. And, you know, and I've now got back 30 million from uh, out of at least 200 million, it should have been. But it's 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 quite a nice feeling to use the name they gave me to to get back at them, really. Mm. I mean, that's that's oh, is it? It's like the first episode of Game of Thrones where where Tyrion says to John, "It's like take you know take their their weapon, you know, make it your armor, and they can never hurt you." So yeah. it's good. Yeah, well. In a way, it backfires because a lot of people on Twitter often say to, oh, you call that ethical, do you? <laughs> you know, go find out why I'm called Mr. Ethical. But, but it, you know, I can live with that. Mm, I mean, Twitter, you know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't concern yourself too much with what people say on, on Twitter. Uh, no, I don't. I don't. <laughs> so uh, you have been campaigning on this for, Scott, 2003, I think it began. Am I right? Well, it was that meeting I referred to when the, the, when I told them what they were doing was illegal. That was in 2003, October 2003. So 18 years. Wow. And I've seen is it, like... Is it 18? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, 18 years. I've seen yeah. estimates that like it's the the how much they they well I don't want to say conned, but how much they took from well, customers was well yeah <laughs> was six hundred uh, six hundred million pounds up to well, potentially on your I saw on your well, blog. Well, possibly over a billion because what what happened was HFC. I mean, this is this is also the source of the whole financial crisis. Not not my story but involving this bank hfc bank because they had they were a subprime lender so they didn't have they weren't like a normal bank where you could go in and cash check and so on but they 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 lent they they had branches in uh, a, a certain demographic with poor people so they lent money to poor people who wouldn't be able, normally be able to get a loan from a bank so they they lent money at a huge in, you know, inflated interest rate, uh, subprime, subprime lending, that's known as. And they established themselves in the UK in 1975. Now, HSBC purchased HFC Bank in about 2003, 2000. And in this, it's an originally American bank. It's called Household Finance Corporation. And they were the biggest subprime lenders in America. And it was the HSBC purchase of HFC that legitimized subprime lending. All the other banks thought, oh, this is a, the way to go. And it was subprime lending. It was those toxic mortgages which brought down the world economy because the banks were selling these packaged uh, deals to each other, which were toxic and they were full of rubbish. Mm. Um, and in fact, HSBC issued its first, this was the beginning of the financial crisis. Most people refer to the bank Paribas, NMP Paribas, uh, freezing two accounts as the beginning of the financial crisis. It wasn't. It was an HSBC profit warning in February 2007, which was the beginning of the scare that set the ball in motion to, to, to crash the world economy. And it was HSBC purchase of HSBC. So, 
Uh, when I saw the contract which HFC had with the other firm of solicitors besides my firm, it was obvious. It was it was just something they'd imported from America, where where what they were doing was it's legal in America to charge contingency fees. That's what the the problem was. Um, but I had no reason to believe they haven't been doing it since 1975. So if you go back to 1975, then it would be over a billion pounds that they've defrauded from people. Wow. I mean, I've heard, is, yeah, that's sorry, go on. I was just going to say, like, I've heard those, I've heard the charges and the, 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 yeah, the contingency fees, the overdraft fees described as just like a poor tax that is, it's, it's just, it's stealing money from, from people who don't have it to, to, yeah, pay bankers bonuses, basically. Well, the worst thing, the worst thing they did was, you see, contingency fees, most people would say, well, that's not so bad. You know, if the, the, the idea of contingency fee is the lawyer, say, say the lawyer sues for £1,000 and wins, the lawyer takes 20% of that £1,000, so £200 for the lawyer's fees and gives the client £800. But that's not what they did. They added the lawyer's £200 onto the debt so that they sue you for 1200 In fact, it was 16.4%. So if you owed them £10,000, which was a fairly average amount, they would add £1,640 to your debt before the solicitors did any work. And some people, if they had, a, if they had the money, they would pay it straight out. So they're paying £1,640 for nothing. The lawyers did nothing except write one letter, which was automated anyway. Now, so A, contingency fees were illegal anyway. Lawyers were not allowed to charge a percentage of their recoveries. But this was even worse than a contingency fee because they were adding the costs onto the debt. And, and I, I knew uh, when, I, when I reported them to the Law Society, the Law Society took nearly a year to, to reach their decision. And they agreed with me. It was an illegal contingency fee. But they, they, were, they didn't take any action because they said it only happened in a small number of cases. Well, when I left the firm, and bearing in mind we'd only been doing it for about two years, when I left the firm, we had seventy to 80,000 cases. And I know the other firm, Reston's, who have been doing it for many years, must have had many more than that. And I also know the department. I, when I first won the contract, I was head of a department of five, four other people. But when I left the firm, there were about 30 people in Liverpool doing the work. I mean, it just completely mushroomed and blossomed. I, I calculated that between the two lawyers, Reston's and Waitman's, they added £44 million a year in illegal charges. doesn't mean they recovered that amount, but that's how much they added onto people's debts. And on my website, I've got um, a database. I can't remember how many it is now. Oh, I really can't remember, but thousands and thousands. I've, I've I've disclosed thousands and thousands and thousands of court cases where they've added these illegal debts. But I'm rush I'm rushing ahead of myself. So that's all right. Have you right. got, um, got any more questions on that? That's all right. No, I'll stick I'll stick the link for that sort of st that stuff in the in the description below for anyone who wants to wants to check it out. But okay, like, I, I'll send you I'll send you the link from my webpage. That'd yeah. be great. Uh, the the thing that really interests me because I mean as you mentioned before you you've gone over this a lot like all of the details about it are are on are on your blog and you can Google about about HSBC. I'm more interested um, in how 
how this kind of happens inside a bank or inside, um, for example, the law society where they will sit on something for like a year or they'll, you know, seemingly take their time when it can challenge people in power or you sort of upset the the status quo or, or you know, sort of just anything that might rock the boat, essentially. And do, is this is this like a standard practice almost within within these sorts of institutions that that you've seen is is, it's it's all about money um if the law society had done their job properly they see the law society or the solicitors regulation authority as it became um they have a compensation fund so all lawyers have to pay a certain levy each year to to top up the compensation fund and the idea of the compensation fund is if a lawyer behaves unlawfully or in a wrong way. I mean, normally they're covered by indemnity insurance, but the insurance won't cover them if they're doing something illegal. So the idea is that the compensation fund will pay out. But this this HSBC fraud thing would have wiped out the the SRA's compensation fund. So they they had to cover it up. They do it all the time. I mean, I've got another website, Corruption UK, and there's a blog on there about Eco House. Uh, it was a, a huge scam. Uh, it was a sort of a Ponzi scheme investment in properties that never materialised. And the lawyers were the lawyers involved were promoting the, the scam. The money went through their offices. And this, the SRA found found nothing wrong because again, it would have wiped out their compensation fund. So they can't. They they are completely corrupt. The SRA, totally corrupt. <sighs> So, Sorry, I'm going to say things like that. Yeah, no, it's it's <laughs> if, all right. If you have me on, you're going to have to hear things like that. No, it's it's all right. Like, <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm not exactly like poorly versed in how corrupt the, the things can get. Um, it's it's always just it's it's one of those things that when someone is saying it to you, it's it's more impactful than when someone is when you're reading something. Yeah. I don't know for what what reason that is. I, like, I, I'd say it's probably. Uh, because you know you're you're more likely to sort of take in the gravity of something if someone is telling you. Well, I'll give you an example of the pro- the kind of problems I've had is at the time I reported Waitmans to the SRA, the CEO of the SRA was a man called Anthony Townsend. Now he claims in, in you know lo- later on in my story he claims he he wasn't involved in my complaint at all, but it, it, that has to be complete nonsense because as I said, if if they had followed it through in the way they should have done, it would have wiped out their compensation fund. So, of course, he knew about it. But anyway, he left. And then he became the complaints commissioner, which is the person who investigates complaints against the FCA. And I had a complaint against the FCA because they're corrupt too. And it was Anthony Townsend who had to investigate my... So he was investigating a cover-up at the FCA of a cover-up he had also overseen at the SRA. This is this revolving door thing. They have the right people in the right places to it. And then that, there was a new thing called the Bank uh, British Banking Resolution Service, which is a new thing set up. It's meant to be a, a tribunal for small businesses if they've got problems with the bank. The chair of that new BBRS is a woman called Samantha Barris. She she was the successor to Anthony Townsend. She was the the, the CEO of the SRA after him. And then where I, I followed up with a report against Waitmans to the SRA. I made a complaint against Reston's, who were also doing this illegal contract. 
and the SRA found no evidence at all of restants having done anything, even though HSBC have paid out £30 million now. The SRA found nothing wrong. Samantha Barris is now chair of the British Banking Resolution Service, who's going to adjudicate people's problems with the banks. It's a joke. It sounds like like a joke. Um, I'll give you another example of the revolving door. Twice I reported this fraud to City of London Police. And the, the head the chief superintendent in, in charge of the economic crime unit, the City of London police are supposed to investigate fraud. They are the main fraud, financial fraud police force in the country, and big cases go to them to investigate. Mm-hmm. And twice I reported this to David Manley, who was the chief superintendent at the economic crime unit. And twice he refused to... Um, to take any action. In fact, he was the, the secretary, he was sarcastic. He said to me, oh, you're saying solicitors charging to recover debts is, is a fraud, <laughs> which was not quite what I was reporting. Anyway, he very soon left City of London Police and went to work for HSBC. <laughs> uh, it sounds like a joke. It sounds like a really poorly written, like... Wait till we get on to Cameron. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's got. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll get to that. Okay. In, right. Yeah, but like, have you have you find that what has been the reaction like in from from the time when you really started to bring this to light since you've been blogging about it since you've been like putting like your campaigns on Twitter and 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 doing a, like a, honestly from what I can tell a, like a really really fantastic job in in attempting to bring bring some of these things to light have you have you had seen like changes in attitudes have you seen journalists sit up and listen have you had people no, sit, no. have you seen like laws even just proposals to change no, things no. to see stop Attem- this attempt attempting is the right word i mean i i've been i i i know andrew feinstein who's uh campaigner he used to be an mp in south africa and he he resigned because of corruption in south africa and he's now in the uk and he's written a book called shadow world which is about corruption in the arms industry and i know andrew and i've met him a few times and one time i met him in london and you know i say he said you're not taking on hsbc i said what what do you mean i was you know a bit indignant he said you're taking on the establishment Mm. and that is the case um no, the newspapers won't go near it. HSBC is a no-go area. People say, oh, that's not true. They report this. They... No, what they do is they'll report uh, an FCA press release. So if the FCA, I mean, but the FCA don't touch HSBC either, but they used to. I mean, a, a few years ago, well, they, they did a press release about my thing. The first press release was that HSBC have agreed to pay £4 million, you know, which is out of 200 million plus which yeah. it should have been uh, you see i where people say oh you're confused about your figures you say a billion pounds then you say 200 what the reason for that is i'm being realistic and saying you can only really go back as far as when hsbc purchased hfc bank you know i i can't go back to 1975 and i, I recognize there won't be records that far back mm-hmm. but there certainly will be from hsbc's involvement so i've limited it so, but it's at least two hundred million pounds because they were doing forty-four million pounds a year, and they were doing it between two thousand three and two thousand and ten. I, bearing in mind that the the SRA agreed that they were what they were doing was illegal, and I, I also bear in mind I also only reported Waitmans, but I did tell them Restons were doing it too. 
But their adjudication was 2006. No, 2007 was when they, they agreed it was illegal. But they ca- the, the lawyers carried on doing it until 2010, when the, the Office of Fair Trading made an order telling the bank to stop doing it. But that order for the OFT was buried because of Cameron. Now, we, we'll come on to Cameron shortly. But so they were between 2003 and 2010. So seven years at 44 million pounds. I mean, it would build up, you know, so the first years wouldn't have been 44 million. And probably the last year was probably more than 40, but average 44 million pounds a year for seven years. So that's, that's how much money we're talking about. That's yeah. It, do you think the public struggle to grasp figures like this? Because well, uh, yeah, like when you're talking about 4 million and you're talking about 200 million, I feel like people hear the word million and just think a lot <laughs> and, and don't kind of grasp the, 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 the scale of, of what's going on here. I certainly don't think people understand billion. Does that, 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 um, that way of understanding it is if you count from one to a million, it would take two and a half days or something. If you count from one to a billion, it would take 35 years. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's, you know, that is the difference. Um, mm. So, yeah, these, these are huge numbers. But, yeah, of course, people, and, and in, you know, in terms of the, some of the other big banking scandals, this HSBC fraud thing is not that big. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's big. In, in, for me, it's destroyed my life. But, you know, in, ter- in, in monetary terms, it's not the biggest bank fraud by any means. Bernie Madoff, who's just died, I mean, he, you know, his scam was much, much bigger. Yeah. So it's small fry, really. Yeah. I mean, you don't, you, you, it doesn't take long on Google to figure out that there's a, you know, you could Google any name and link of like fraud or, or any bank fraud and it'll, you'll get a whole yeah, bunch of results. But, 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 um, the uh, who was it? There's some organization, I, I think it was Transparency International. I think it was them who'd been who'd been going for 25 years and they published a list of various corruptions around world co- global corruptions that they had investigated over the 25 years in, of their existence. And I analyzed their list of 25 major corruptions that out of 80 HSBC were involved in 18 of them. So that's why so, you call them the world's dirtiest bank. That's why I call them the world's dirtiest bank. Well, you don't know about it in the UK because they've got all the UK media completely under their thumb. Mm. I mean, and, and people say, oh, that's ridiculous. But they actually said it in Parliament. Stuart Gulliver, the CEO, previous CEO of HSBC, said, yes, we stop advertising in the Telegraph when they produce damaging reports because you're not going to bank with HSBC reading that stuff about it. He actually says that. I've got a film of it on my website. And I, but, lawyer, but journalists say to me, oh, advertising doesn't affect our editorial output. It's complete nonsense. Of course it does. There was an H, HSBC director who was the head of the BBC, Rona Fairhead, parachuted in by Cameron to save his ass from his involvement in this fraud which we're going to go on to. <laughs> yeah, well, that seems like a nice, nice place to transition to. So um, I'm just going to like to give people the, the the vague overview of what's happening with Greensill. I'm just going to, we'll get into more details, but I'll just read this little paragraph I found yeah, on Sky News, which is like, I think sums it up like reasonably well, at least it says, 
Mr. Cameron approached a number of government ministers on behalf of Greensill Capital, a financial services firm he started working for in 2018. He was trying to secure Greensill access to a loan scheme called the COVID Corporate Finance Facility. The former prime minister wanted Greensill Capital to be able to issue loans using taxpayer cash through the scheme. And according to newspaper reports, Mr. Cameron stood to make millions of pounds through his share holdings in the firm. So I like I think I think Sky have done like a reasonable job, at least in, in giving us a nice little opening to what's going on with Greensill, at least there. Yeah. Um, you know, but people say that Johnson, this government is the most corrupt government we've had. I, I disagree. I, I think Cameron's far more corrupt. Johnson's a bumbling fool, and we all know about his corruption. Yeah, he's blatant because he doesn't try to hide it. He's he's just he's just clumsy. Cameron was much more subtle and much more invidious. I mean, after all, you know, he he brought in the referendum for Brexit, you know, and then <laughs> buggered off after the, the result went yeah. the wrong way. Um yeah, he well, I, I referred to earlier on the OFT order. What happened was in November 2010, Cameron made Stephen Green, the chair of HSBC, made him a lord and brought him into government as a trade minister. But this F, this OFT order against HFC Bank, HSBC, was published in November 2010. So, but that wouldn't have done, would it, to make to make the chair of the bank a lord at the same time as the Office of Fair Trading was issuing an order against the bank telling them to stop adding illegal charges. So what they did, the, the, the actual press release from the Office of Fair Trading was a press release about the Office of Fair Trading had clamped down on banks using charging orders oppressively. Now, a charging order is an order, if you owe the bank money, the bank put a charge on your property. And the banks were doing it for small amounts of money, like £500 or something. And the OFT said, you've got to stop using this oppressively for small amounts of money. That's what the press release was about. And then at the bottom of the press release, there were these PDF documents, like in footnotes. PDF. And one of the PDF documents, in fact, there were two, well, there were four, but one of them was an order to HFC telling them, to stop adding these illegal charges to accounts. Nothing to do with charging orders. Mm. And there was also exactly the same order to American Express. So American Express were doing it too. But I have no, obviously, no inside knowledge of the American Express procedure, mm. although I have recovered some money for people from American Express for doing exactly the same thing. They were probably doing it on a huge scale as well. In fact, I think this is a much bigger scandal than PPI. Because it's HSBC, the press don't go there. Mm. Um, so where was I? Yeah, so coming back to Cameron. So that, that you know, I can't, of course, I can't point, I can't point to a document where Cameron writes the FT and says, get that buried. But it happened, the, 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 uh, the details are on my website. I'll send you the link, but... Uh, I think the chronology is it was announced that Stephen Green was going to be made a lord. And the following day, the OFT press release was issued with this order buried away at the bottom. Mm. So they'd done their job. You know, they had made an order against the bank and they'd released it. But no, nobody found it. I found it because I, I'm investigating these things. But the press didn't pick it up. Nobody found it. I mean, I, it was a red letter day for me because I, if bearing in mind, I've been campaigning about this since 2003 
And seven years later, the UFT makes an order telling him to stop doing it. So that rather vindicates my position mm. that what they were doing was illegal. Yeah. And the order from the OFT said, you must not add these charges unless and until you change your terms and conditions, which allow you to do it, meaning their terms and conditions didn't allow them to do it. Yeah, so, it's pretty stunning sometimes. You, you like Again, like I said, it's, it's, it's one thing to, to, to read and, and sort of understand that there's a lot of corruption, but then to, to hear it is, is quite shocking. I, I think it to me it really speaks to the, the thing that I always get, and I'm, I'm sure you've probably run into this as well. Is right? anytime I'm trying to raise, it doesn't even have to be like specifically something to do with HSBC or banking, but you know, something in finances is normally pretty uh, pretty good for this. But people's reaction always seems to be like, oh well, you know, they'd never get away with this, or oh well, you know, there'd be newspapers reporting on it, or oh, you know, this would be big news or, or you know, this would be front page headlines or, you know, they'd get prosecuted for X, Y, and Z. And, and the reality is that there's there's this like, yeah, establishment class that is is very happy to kind of cover for each other. And and and, and the revolving door between, you know, institutions in, in government, in the city of London, in regulators is is really not helpful in in this, in, in, in attempting for anyone like yourself trying to just not even you're not even like maliciously attempting to take down someone. You're just trying to have the law applied. Yeah, yeah, I'm just trying to get the money back for people that had it stolen from them. But the problem is, Josh, it's not just at that level. It's I mean, I'm virtually a recluse because I moved to Hastings after after I was sacked, we went to mediation and they agreed to pay me a substantial amount of money. But I moved out of London to, to halve my mortgage and have a cheaper life. And, and I wanted to, you know, because I write music and I wanted to come here. And at the time I was writing music with The Guardian and I had an income. And so I moved to Hastings. Um, but, you know, after a while, people say, you know, I meet people socially and, and I'd say to them, well, I'm also campaigning about a massive multi-million pound fraud by HSBC and the people look at each other because they think, well, we haven't read about that. Mm. <laughs> of course they haven't read about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the chairman of the BBC is an HSBC director. You don't hear about these things. No. <laughs> HSBC, the Guardian is the biggest recipient of HSBC advertising money of all the online newspapers. Really? The Guardian, yeah. The Guardian have sponsored articles. BBC have sponsored... BBC do adverts for HSBC. They're the commercial arm of the BBC. They do adverts. And they have sponsored content on World uh, BBC... Uh, what's it called? World Service. World Service, yeah. yeah. Wow, I did not know The Guardian and were the biggest recipient. Guardian's biggest... There's a, there's a, on my website, there's a clip of a film of Stuart Gulliver saying The Guardian is the biggest recipient of online, not not print, but online. Yep. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's becoming larger and larger now, so it's, it's more yeah. and more of a... Well, they, 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 they HSBC uh, suspended advertising with The Guardian when they were running the Swiss Leaks story. They stopped advertising with The Guardian, but they're friends again now. They're big friends now. <laughs> so yeah. the press, what the press will do, as I was saying earlier, they will report a press release from the... That's their job, you know, they've got to report FCA press releases mm. and they wouldn't sell they'd lose all credibility if they didn't report those things so i think it's understood between them 
that they, they'll report these things, but they won't investigate. They won't expose something themselves. So I wonder now why Cameron has been thrown to the dogs. Why suddenly is Cameron being exposed? I think it was, was it the Telegraph or the Financial Times that, that started this Greensill thing? It doesn't matter. But why suddenly now? Because, you know, most people up there, they will know what Cameron was up to. So suddenly he's expendable for some reason. Yeah, I, I have I have wondered that personally because it seemed like he'd sort of just walked away and he was going to be able to continue, you know, just sort of like transition to like civilian life as <laughs> such. And, and and now he's been dragged back into the fore and like my really paranoid, um, cynical mind goes like, what are they covering for? Like, what? why are they willing to, like you said, throw him under the bus? Um, and do, do, you, do you think there will be actual substantive examination, investigation, prosecution of this case? I don't think there'll be any prosecutions, no. And I think the, the government in, inquiry will be a, another whitewash. I mean, the, you know, it's widely been reported. The guy, Nigel Boardman, who's, who's the lawyer, I mean, he, he acted for Carillion. Now, this is another interesting connection there, actually. He acted for Carillion prior to them going out of business. Uh, I don't think Carillion actually used Grensil services, but they certainly did use what's called supply chain finance, which is a very dodgy area of finance. Uh, one of the biggest banks actually involved in that, of course, is HSBC. But in July 2017, I think it was, Carillion issued a profit warning, which means, you know, that they've got, their finances are in a precarious situation. And at the end of July 2017, it was announced that the UK Export Finance, which is a government body to promote trade overseas, had guaranteed to Carillion an HSBC loan of $200 million in the month that they were issuing a profit warning. So people knew that Carillion was, was, was in trouble, but the government backed an HSBC loan to them. It's almost like laundering money straight to HSBC. Taxpayers' money. It's say, you know, if Carillion fail to pay back HSBC, then the taxpayer will pay it. So it's almost like money laundering straight to HSBC. Now, uh, this Nigel Borman, he was acting for Carillion up and certainly up until May that year. So those negotiations with the export finance must have been going on, you know, prior to July. You know, these things don't just happen overnight. So he must have been involved in that in those negotiations. But anyway, the point is, you know, he's a non-executive director at the Business Institute, you know, the business department, BEIS. Can never remember what it stands for, business enterprise, whatever it's called. Mm. He's a non-executive director. So he's, he's employed by the government anyway. So he's, you know, he's a, and a, he's a, the son of a Tory lord. I mean, he's, he's, it'll be a whitewash. Mm. So will the Treasury. I mean, the Treasury have announced an inquiry too, but they're only looking for um, what lessons can be learned. <laughs> so no action will be taken about <laughs> against Cameron. But I, I, I think he's... I'm sure they'll fun. learn their lesson and be more <laughs> secretive about it next time. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, well, but why are they going for Cameron? Because, you know, five, six years ago, he would have, it wouldn't, he wouldn't have been exposed. Hmm. 
especially if it was connected with HSBC. Now, let's go back to Karen and HSBC. After the Lord Green was put into government, and I mean, incidentally, after it was 2000, or oh, well, let's go back. Uh, uh, that was two, t- 2010, Lord Green was made, Stephen Green was made a Lord. In 2012, HSBC signed a deferred prosecution agreement in America because they'd been laundering Mexican drug cartel money and then laundering money for Al-Qaeda and Hezbollah and so on, doing everything they were not supposed to do. But instead, the, the, the American Department of Justice wanted to prosecute them. But George Osborne, and this is not widely... George Osborne is known about because there is a letter from George Osborne to Ben Bernanke, the, the American head of the bank. Fed, wasn't um, he? Was he head of the Fed? The Fed, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um George Osborne wrote to him and said, you, you, you can't prosecute HSBC. It destabilised the world economy. You know, you can't, you can't do it. Um, but Cameron also had a meeting with Obama about it in the same, around about the same time. That's not widely reported, but there's an American whistleblower who, who's reported that. So we've got Cameron and Osborne fighting for HSBC. You see, they, the, the problem is they would have lost their licence if... if They've been prosecuted in a minute. They would have likely have lost their banking license in the States. And it would have caused some big problems. So between 2012 and 2017, because it was a five-year DPA, HSBC were on probation. So if any if any other nefarious activities by them was, was uncovered during that period, they could still lose their license in America. So in 2012, 17, I think it was, David Cameron put an HSBC director, Rhoda Fed, in head of the BBC. And uh, Camilla Cavendish, David, there was an election in 2015, I think it was, for Cameron to be re-elected. Um, and the Sunday Times were going to write an article about his involvement in covering up this HSBC fraud. Tom Harper, the Home Affairs correspondent, spent a lot of time with me on this article. And the day before, it was it was going to be a big spread in the Sunday Times. The day before, I sent him an email just to confirm that it would be in, so I knew whether to go buy the paper the next day. He just said, no, sorry. And as always with the media, when they spike a story, they never tell me why. Mm-hmm. They never tell me. that. You know, I spent... In one case, private eye, nine months working with them. They spiked it in the end. They never told me why. So it didn't get in. But the, the associate editor of the Sunday Times at the time, Camilla Cavendish, who incidentally around that time had had a, a meeting with Cameron at Chequers, two months after the story was spiked, she started working for Cameron at Number 10. She was head of policy <laughs> unit at Number 10 Downing Street. And with his resignation honours, she was made a baroness. So she killed this story, which would have stopped him. I mean, he probably would not have got elected again if his involvement in the covering up the HSBC fraud was was exposed. So she killed that story. He went on to be elected. Then we will know what happened then. We have Brexit and, and so on and so on. Now that's just another example of, I mean, so many people who have covered up this story have been rewarded. The year that Rona Fairhead was... Uh, put into the BBC, there was another director at HSBC called uh, Jonathan Evans, and he was the ex-director general of MI5. He left at the Secret Services and went straight to work for BBC, just like the police. Hogan Howe, who's in the paper, connected with Greensill, 
when he left the Met- Metropolitan Police, he went to work for HSBC. <laughs> anyway, Lord Jamron, just just um, Fairhead started working at the BBC, I think, in November that year. Um, and at the same time, very quietly, well, there was no big, big publicity about it. Um, Jonathan Evans was made a lord by Cameron. So he was brought into government as well. And there's Lord Jamrin, who used to be the Queen's secretary. Lord Jamrin, well, but actually, I'm I'm going off at a tangent because there's I, I was going to start talking about the security services and so on, but that's a bit sort of bit wider of your focus. But they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they've got their finger in every single aspect. They've got their finger in the security services, MI5, GCHQ, the Church of England. Uh, every government department you're doing, you're doing a, a fantastic job of laying out the like just how the revolving door really works uh because you know it's a phrase that people maybe don't they they hear but don't really understand the scale or or impact of it and you're you're doing a you're doing a fantastic job here of actually laying out just how but josh i, I saw on twitter i can't remember who said it but somebody said yesterday on twitter it's not a revolving door it's an open door <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I think it was an mp who said it. i can't remember who it was yeah they took out the revolving door they just knocked through yeah, they just, like, just go open plan straight in. <laughs> yeah now, you said that a lot of these papers have, have dropped um, dropped stories. Is it, is it your sort of inclination that, that, that they've been threatened or promised yeah. something oh, yeah. in exchange? Oh, yeah. Well, there's the appetizing. I mean, the serious journalists, it's right to reply. So they will, they'll do the story. I mean, I, I know this. For, I won't name names because I talk to some journalists on a confidential basis, but... You know, I've heard reports back of HSBC's response to this right to reply. But but talking more generally, the, the scenario will be this journalist says, we've got this article, Nicholas Wilson has made these allegations. Could you, can you, and he's, they'll, they will say, well, he's, you know, he's unstable. He's a nutcase. He's a pain in the backside. <laughs> uh, but you must bear in mind how much we spend advertising in our newspaper every year. And if you publish that, we'll sue you anyway. They're not going to do it. Mm. They're not going to do it. One of the scariest things I ever saw is I've been to a few HSBC AGMs, annual general meetings, and challenged Douglas Flint, who was the chair at the time, over this cover-up. I mean, that's always been funny because he's always said, oh, we haven't done anything wrong. And then, you know, further down (laughs) the line, they've they've ended up to date paying 30 million. Um, But one of the scariest things I saw, I was there a bit early before the AGM, and it was in Queen Elizabeth Conference Centre, which is opposite Parliament. And there's there's this court uh, area of uh, foy- um, what do you call it, driveway in front of the building, gravelled gr- driveway. And these probably, I think, five this fleet anyway, fleet of blacked out Mercedes limos purred into the the grounds, you know, crunching the gravel, moving very slowly, all blacked out. That was the HSBC directors. It was like a mafia convention. It was <laughs> it, it was very scary. I and mean, it was, yeah, why can they get the tube? Or maybe not get the tube, but you know, get a taxi or but they have this big public arrival, just mm. like the mafia. Mm. And they are like the mafia. I like to call them drug dealer cars. Like when they're well, big yeah. blacked out well, land rovers. Yeah. 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 Well, they weren't those like Humvee types, they were Mercedes limousines, but even so, they were fairly, you know. Mm. 
So it seems to me that that a lot of these things that, that you're talking about, they they are like actually illegal. It's not that 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 you know banks banks and big financial institutions and and whatnot they're like skirting round the law, you know, finding loopholes. It, like it seems that, that a lot of these practices that you've been talking about are like illegal, completely. Just you know, you should yeah, well, yeah. yeah. fraud. Yeah, they're fraud. So there should be investigations, prosecutions, um, and and you know, serious examination of what's gone on. But obviously, that's not quite the case as to what's going on, or the the investigations are sort of undercovered, um, or or they don't take place, or or just whatever happens that means that these 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 scandals as such don't become the don't become the the big bombshell that that it seems like they should. Uh, so it, to me, it looks like it's a case of actually applying the law correctly in, 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 rather than even needing to reform. Like, obviously, there's, there's probably a lot of areas in which reform is the case. But why do you think it is that we can't even get the laws that are in place to be like, correctly applied? You're, you're absolutely right. There is, you know, people say, oh, we need to change. The law is pretty robust, but it's not applied by organizations like the FCA, the FCA, the Financial Conduct Authority. I mean, they are corrupt. I mean, I say this frequently, and I've said it to Andrew Bailey, who used to be the, the CEO of the FCA, who is now the chair of the Bank of England. Um, well, I, I have an example of their corruption in my HSBC story, but they so they don't, they don't even know what their powers are. I mean, I had a meeting with Andrew Bailey, and I said, because they, they didn't investigate my thing. They, basically, they investigated me to find out. They said to me, if you can produce the evidence, but it's not my job or within my power to provide the evidence. Anyway, I said to him, why haven't you raided these solicitor's offices? He said, you can't raid solicitor's offices. They can. They have the powers to apply to a magistrate for an order to raid any agent of the bank, which is what solicitors are. They don't even know their own powers. And people who know finance much better than me, people like Steve Middleton, I, you know, I'm, I'm in this network of campaigners against these bank frauds. Um, <clears throat> they will tell you far more detailed evidence of the, HS, uh, of the FCA not knowing their powers uh, and certainly not using them. And it's the revolving door again. If you look at LinkedIn, you'll see these people. If you look at LinkedIn and put in FCA and say HSBC or Barclays or RBS. This is through a revolving door. They all, they all work. They, you imagine if you were, you're working for the FCA, you're earning what thirty thousand a year, and you've been in, assigned to investigate, say, an HSBC problem. Hmm. HSBC get on the phone and say, "How much are you earning? Thirty thousand. We're starting a new recruitment drive. We need people of you know." We'll pay three times that amount. We need people of your caliber. Smart, enterprising What are you going to do? What are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, no. I prefer my 30,000 and I, I you know, believe in justice. doesn't happen. <laughs> and that's what's going on. I mean, it's just revolving door corruption. Mm. Well, that's is that corruption? I don't know. It's... I mean, that seems like it, it's probably corruption, like, like offering <laughs> offering someone a nice big fat pay packet to not do their job. Well, it's yeah, but they, like you corruption. Know, not, well, yeah, what happened with that David Bailey, uh, uh, David Manley, the City of London Police? You see, I worked out that he 
was probably paid about £200,000. Chief superintendent is a high-powered job, and I think he was on about 200000 So how much was HSBC paying him? For him to leave City Police and work for HSBC, mm. how much must they have been paying him? Yeah. Cameron took out three, three days before the Brexit referendum. Cameron took out an HSBC mortgage. <laughs> the, uh, the, should we talk about the have you got time to talk about the director general of the sfo yeah go for it the the, the other thing i want to mention was sort of like whistleblower protection but yeah go go for it i've, I've well, i'll just mention this one and then we'll go on to whistleblowers well i mentioned earlier that hsbc had done at this deferred prosecution agreement so they were on probation for five years now we all know now I've all known all along, that they were involved in all sorts of other things during that period of five years. And most recently, uh, I think the end of last year, the FinCEN files scandal was released. And there, lo and behold, HSBC were involved in money laundering for a Ponzi scheme. It was only 50-odd million, so not really very important. But when, when a bank enters into a deferred prosecution agreement, certainly in America, it's probably the same here as well, um, they appoint a monitor. A, a, a monitor is appointed to, to check that they are complying with the requirements of the, of the court order. Incidentally, the bank are allowed to choose their own monitor. I mean, they, they have a choice of three. but they, So HSBC chose a, a company called Exeger, who incidentally were paid $200 million, $200 million a year to, to monitor the bank. And in, in Europe, the, the person at Exeter who was responsible for monitoring HSBC in Europe was a woman called Lisa Rosowski. Lisa Rosowski, is, she has an HSBC mortgage on, on a £3 million flat in London. I don't know how much the mortgage is, but that's what the flat is worth. Her husband, Mark Wasserman, works for an American law firm. They were called Sidley Austin. I think they're now just called Sidley. They did the legal work for the monitorship of the DPA. So they were earning millions. They also act for HSBC. So they probably got these Chinese walls that, you know, one department doesn't talk to another. But what I'm saying is throughout this whole period, it seems like... Exeger. Now, I have to be careful here because I believe Exeger probably did do their job properly and did uncover a lot of breaches of the court order because when they presented their report to the court in America, the court refused to allow the public. Somebody made a, an application for this report to be released and the court refused to allow it to be published. Right. Unsealed, as they call it in America. So I, I actually believe that, that Exeger probably did know about this Ponzi scheme. But they were laundering money for, they constantly laundering money from Russia and Hong Kong, out of money out of China into Hong Kong. They, they launder money all over the world. That's what they do. That's that's their business. So the leaders of Sosti would have known. But the point I'm making is HSBC were released from their DPA in December. I, I, let me, I, I'm going to make up the dates here because I can't remember them exactly, but suppose 16th of December, hmm. 2017, they were released from their DPA. 17th of December, 2017, the Serious Fraud Office advertised for a new Director General. 
person who got the job, Lisa Osowski, who was the monitor of HSBC in Europe, who presumably knew about all their criminality, but kept her mouth shut. Her, she, started, she started quite late in the job after having been appointed. It took a while. The reason that is, is the uh, CPS in this country was prosecuting a partner of her husband's law firm for tax, tax evasion in connection with an HSBC <laughs> tax fiddle. You know, these, the, you know the film things where the, 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 there's this whole tax thing where you invest in a film. And it's, mm. I mean, I don't know the details, but there are lots of them and many of them. There's Zeus and... and uh can't remember all the names, but a lot of those were devised by HSBC. So this HSBC devised tax fiddle, one of the <clears throat> partners of her law firm was being prosecuted. But suddenly the CPS dropped the investigation, the prosecution. That's lucky. That was lucky. So just after that, she started working at the SFO. Now, my theory, I can't prove it, but my theory is that she was bribed with that job to keep her mouth shut. She's got so much dirt on HSBC. But also, since she's been there, funnily enough, like Rolls-Royce and uh, Unioil, various investigations that lead to HSBC have been dropped by the SFO. More luck. Yeah, strange coincidence. This is gonna be a this is gonna be a monster to edit this 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 podcast is gonna be because <laughs> um, I obviously I'm gonna try and How provide sources for everything. Um, oh well, no, I, I will. You links. I mean, if you have, just let me know what you want links for. No, I know, but I, just just for me personally, it's not not that I don't believe that you'll send me the correct links, but I mean, I'm going to try and edit in as like clips and yeah, whatnot. It's all on my website. Everything about. I say is evidenced. So and it's all on my website. So if you look Lisa Rosowski on my website, you'll find all the stuff you need. Hmm. But oh, if I'm you... more than happy to do the work to go through everything. Trust me, this is this okay, fantastic well, uh, just, info. Just uh, let me know if you need anything. Anyway. Yeah, no, I certainly will. Um, so it seems that, that probably one of the best ways uh, to try and expose this kind of corruption is through whistleblowers. Now, um, that's that's essentially what you were um, in, when you first started out in, in 2003, trying to trying to you know address this these scandals and. What is the UK protection like for whistleblowers? Like, what sort of well, legal protection do you have? Can you see my ceiling up there? Yes. Right. I'm living in a house that's falling down, on which I can't pay the mortgage <laughs> because I've been unemployed since I blew the whistle. Right. Effectively, I have done a, a couple of short contract jobs. Uh, there is no protection. I mean, the, people will say there's the... PEDA, it's called the Public Interest Disclosure Act, but it doesn't really protect whistleblowers. And we're thrown to the walls. I mean, if I was in America, if I had done what I did in America, I would be multimillionaire by now because mm. financial whistleblowers there get a percentage of, of whatever in, is imposed on the, on the bank doing the wrongdoing. I mean, the, the bank, the figures that I've recovered are 30 million. So, you know, 10, 20% of that would have paid for that ceiling but <laughs> but it, it, you know if it was in america it, they would have been much more thorough and it would have been over 200 million pounds and i you know and i would have cleaned up uh, but this country you are a pariah if you blow the whistle have you know there are hardly any legal whistleblowers or bank whistleblowers because 
A, you never work in, in that industry again, ever. Um, B, they'll make your life hell. In fact, my public position on whistleblowing in financial situations, not in hospitals or building sites or whatever, purely if it's purely financial, I, my advice is don't do it because they will destroy you. My advice is leave the job, go somewhere else, get another job somewhere else and keep your mouth shut because they will utterly destroy you as they have me. And, I, you know, I, I, I have my moments of paranoia, but generally I'm not paranoid. It's just, you know, this week I've had a letter from the DWP. My, mor my mortgage is part paid. I'm on benefits and so my mortgage is part paid by the deep as a, but it's a loan on my property, which adds interest. But I've just had a letter from them this week saying they're reducing the amount of their mortgage support by 57 pounds a month, which means I've now got to find another 57 pounds a month. I've already got a suspended suspension uh, repossession order on this house. Well, I should say suspended repossession hearings. They haven't got the order yet, but they could, go, if I miss 10 pounds on my mortgage, they can go back to court and ask for a repossession order. That is the stress I've been living under for, for many, many years. So in this country, whistleblowers, and, and you, you ask you know, any other whistleblower the same, that, that it will, I'm not the only one. You know, it ruins your life and your health and your marriage in many cases. Um, your home exists. Um, some people kill themselves, and I've often thought that might be the way out. It's, it's, it's hell. Yeah, that's heavy to hear. It's, uh, and this, this awful, like, uh, for me, whistleblowers should be probably held up as the people that are attempting to like, they're, they're often like the, I wouldn't say virtuous, but like their, uh, their actions are coming from a desire to pursue uh, truth reasons. and justice. But, yeah. And, most people just, I mean, I was naive. I, I believed if I blew the whistle on this, it would stop happening. I would be rewarded. And I'd go on to get a much better job. <laughs> exactly the opposite happened. It was covered up. They carried on doing it. And I was thrown to the wolves. I, and that's that's very common. Too common. Well, I guess that that, that feels like a, a good note on which to, to wrap things up. Um, it's, yeah, too common. Um, hopefully we can remedy that in the future. Well, <laughs> well I'm writing a book. Uh, well, I, at the moment, I mean, that, that, that letter from the DWP has, has been a bit of a kick up the backside. You know, I've got to do something to, to try and survive. I'm, I'm determined not to lose this house. Mm. It's a small house. Uh, and, it, you know, it's, it's, it needs a lot of work doing on it, but it's on the edge of a cliff overlook. I can see the sea from my office here. Oh, it's over, nice. on a cliff overlooking the sea and I can hear it. I mean, it's, it's th almost a stone's throw distance to the sea here. I'm determined not to lose this house because then they win. Mm. They earn millions from this fraud. And I recovered, you know, no, uh, nothing. I just lost everything. Uh, but I'm determined not to, I, you know, I'm leaving this house feet first. I'm not determined not to lose this house. So I, I've got to get my book written because mm. <laughs> I'll never get, I'm 64. I'll never get another job. So. Mm. Well, uh, folks, the, the link for um, Nicholas's PayPal and blog and everything will be in the link below <laughs> if anyone feels they would like to contribute. Um, 
you know, well, you got to say it or people, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Josh. <laughs> no problem. Um, so, uh, yeah, everyone check out the blog. Um, I will link absolutely everything that we have discussed as uh, in the description. And, um, yeah, I guess there's all, all we can do is uh, try and try and, you know, spread the word and hopefully enough people will become outraged about this. That's all we can do. So, yeah, thanks for, okay. thanks for you know, helping thanks, me Josh. understand, man. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, follow me on Twitter, or sign up to our mailing list. Thanks a lot to our sponsor, ExpressVPN, the number one most trusted VPN. Get lightning fast connectivity with servers in 160 locations across 94 countries. Keep your browsing privacy safe with ExpressVPN and get a 35% discount on 12 months of ExpressVPN when you follow the link in the description below. Don't forget my book is now out and available to order on Amazon and on bookshop.org. That's Brexit, the Establishment Civil War. And most importantly, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.